Right. We are on part four of our Fix My Mind series. Hopefully yesterday you got some sun therapy, right, that helped you out a little bit. Uh, you got out in the sun and, and got a little bit of vitamin D. You can tell that I did. Uh, my nose is all burnt, and uh, hopefully you had a, a great day yesterday. But today is going to be the last session. But after uh, the service, we're going to tell you about some ways that we're going to continue on working on uh, these mental health things. In a room this size, there are bound to be some real things to worry about. And you might be one of those people who says, no, I don't struggle with any of those things. I'm a laid-back person. And you might even say, I only care about two things. Every person on earth and their opinion of me and all the possibilities of all the things that can go wrong. And that might be true. Maybe you're a laid-back person like that and, and you don't struggle with mental health. But there are some real things to worry about in the room today. In the last uh, few months, Scott and Tori and I have made some, uh, a good bit, actually, of hospital visits. And I know health is something that many of you are struggling with. Then you've got inflation and the stock market and economic uncertainty. Those are all real things. Relationships, they take constant work. Marriages can never be on cruise control. Kids, just when you think you got them figured out and their struggles, they hit a new phase. And there's a new thing that pops up. These are all real, tangible things to be worried about. Let alone all the anxiety and fears and worries that are irrational, but also unconquerable. And that's when, maybe you've been there before, when your mind tells you, hey, something's wrong. And you're like, okay, mind, what's wrong? And, they, and the mind is just like, something, something is wrong. And you just don't know, and you can't relax, and you're on this low level, uh, just anxiety and panic. The World Health Organization says that Americans have a bigger issue with anxiety than any other people in the world. I'm not sure that's something that we want to be number one at, right? But we're number one. It's strange to think about that, that our most affluent society is also the most anxiety-ridden. And that seems the reason that more money will not cure our issues. The Barna Group has found that 60% of U.S. adults struggle with worry and stress daily. We were not made to live in this way. Now, obviously, there are real medical and physical problems that cause these struggles sometimes with anxiety and depression. But there also maybe is something about our culture that feeds into this as well. Perhaps it's the pace that we're living at, right? Going, 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 never silence, always noise, busyness. Don't deal with the problems. Shove them down deeper and distract yourself with your phone or your job or your social life or travel or exercise. Whatever you got to do, do not think about your issues. Maybe it's our tendency to place ourselves in isolation and to retreat from real community and then blame everyone else for why we don't have real meaningful relationships instead of asking ourselves if we actually care about anyone outside of ourselves. And you're like, no, I just want people to uh, check on me and ask me to do things. I don't want to actually do any work, right? 
Well, this pace that we are living at and this lack of real, genuine rest and contentment coupled with the fact that we're living in isolation is dangerous to our health. We were not made for this. But worry is interwoven in our culture. You can't stand and talk to anyone, even people that you barely know, without negativity and worry going to be the things that you're going to bring up, right? You're standing next to somebody in an elevator. What are you going to say if you have to say something? You see those gas prices lately? Man, the, the cost of eggs, am I right? Man, I'm just so tired of this depressing weather. You see the stock market? My retirement is going to take a big hit. This is one of the worst ones, right? You see that accident on I-79? Jeez, why would you bring that up? You see that string of dog nappings in Fairmont? It's a real problem. We complain about our kids or our husband or our job. Why do we naturally tend towards talking about negative things? Why do we engulf ourselves in pessimism? We are extremely blessed. And as hard as life is, for most of us, we are more blessed than we can handle. Now, obviously, if you just recently lost a loved one or something huge like that, we have real reasons to, get, uh, to grieve, but most of us are just ungrateful. 700 million people in the world right now live on less than $2 a day. Think about that. That's half the price of my pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks. America's population is only 330 million. And 700 million people are living right now on, uh, on less than $2 a day. That's housing and food and medicine and clothes, all of it. Most of us go over the edge and blow up if we can't find our phone charger. But some of our, our situations and our problems with worry are simply a lack of perspective. We have it pretty good. Now, worry and anxiety are not necessarily the same thing. Craig Groeschel says, worry happens in our mind, and our anxiety happens in our whole body. Anxiety is that thing that we struggle with that we can't really pinpoint. But worry is something that we can control. Anxiety may not be. But Penn State research tells us that 91% of the things that we worry about never come so what if we began to change our brain and thought differently? We talked about in that in week one, how we can fix our mind on God. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and mind and tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your forehead. What is it saying? It's, it's saying that we need to bathe our mind in the truth of God's word. That he loves us and he cares about us and that he is in control and that he is good and that we can change our brains and learn not to worry so much because 91% of those things are not going to happen. But see, the problem that is coupled with all these things we've dealt with already in this series is that busyness and distraction hurt us and they could be a major source of our worry. But some of us like to feel busy because it makes us feel alive or important. But your body is not made to run on empty, fueled by caffeine, never taking time to recharge. See, God made us to rest. 
You are made with this need to rest. But more than just sleep, to refresh. One leader describes uh, that refreshment as beginning to see the color of the trees and the, the, the sound of the birds singing and the smell of the flowers. We were driving around in my Jeep the, uh, yesterday, and I stopped on the, this back road somewhere, dirt road, and we turned the car off, and we just listened just for a few minutes just to the birds singing, and you could hear the bees, and to pause, and to wait, and to rest. God's Word calls this Sabbath. And sitting around and worrying about work and emailing about all those things it isn't rest. We need real refreshment and recharge every week and that's why god commanded us to sabbath he modeled this even for us at the beginning of time when he rested on the seventh day of creation and the word sabbath comes from the hebrew word shabbat which means to stop stop sabbath means a time to stop the hurry and stop the worry and stop the hustle and the bustle of your daily routine and fall into a rhythm of rest and delight in God. Now, before electricity, we had no choice but to go to bed, right? God turned off the lights, and we had to go and sleep and rest. And we could sit around a fire for a while, but you had to stop working when it got dark. But now we have the blue light of screen that is always there to keep us awake, and to show us something to worry about, and to distract us from dealing with our problems. There's always more to do. My son Noah loves to look up stuff on the internet, and he just has an inquisitive mind, and he, he just always want to know. And sometimes I want to tell him, like, hey, you're never going to know everything that's on the internet. Like, you're not going to be able to figure it all out. And I love that about him. But sometimes, us as adults, we can just continue to want to know I was proud the other day uh, that I did not know that Jerry Springer died until like two days later. And I was like, and you know, I don't have any issue with him, but I was like, hey, there's some information I don't need to know, right? Back a hundred years ago, I would have never known that. And there are some things that I don't need to know. We feel like we always have to know more, but it's okay to detach. It's okay to not know everything that's going on. And it's okay to not dwell on those negative and hurtful things that can distract our minds from what we really have going on inside of us. So if God rested and God took time to just wait, why do we think that we don't need that? We've got to stop constantly living our lives in a hurry because there's always more to do. And in fact, you can add so much to your plate that you don't accomplish anything well. Some of our life groups have done a study on Sabbath rest by working through a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I recommend that to anyone that's listening right now. And so in that book, John Mark Comer says that hurry is violence on the soul. And he has this theory that if Satan can't get you to sin, he will try and make you busy. And that's our culture right now. And you may say, well, I've got everything, you know, I'm not doing anything that I shouldn't do, but you're never taking time to rest 
and you're not connecting with God and you're not uh, having real time of communion with him because you won't stop, that's not, that's not success in your Christian walk. Sabbath is extremely important to the life of a believer. It reminds us to stop working and trust that God will continue to work things out in your life. But intentionally placing a time of rest and Sabbath in your life is counterintuitive to the rhythms of our culture today. We idolize the busy life and we're proud when we fill out our time card with excessive hours to prove how busy we are. Sometimes we even get in arguments with people about who's the busier person. You shouldn't want to win that contest. It's not healthy. In fact, being too busy is a failure. And when we refuse to slow down, it reveals a real lack of faith in God. And you might think, well, if I don't do this, if I don't do that, then my whole life is going to fall apart. And we give ourselves too much credit and not enough to God. Who are we to think that we don't need rest? After creating the universe in six days, God himself rested on the seventh. He didn't need to, but he did it to show you how important it was. And you can pile on all the excuses as to why you're so important that you can never slow down, but God rested. He wasn't drained, he wasn't exhausted, but he rested. And if God rested, why do we think that Sabbath is something that we are capable of skipping without serious repercussion? Worry, anxiety, stress, burnout. Many times we do this to ourselves. But way back in the Old Testament, God gave us the command to stop and rest. And God commanded the Israelites to remember the Sabbath day. It's one of the big ten. And to remember the Sabbath day doesn't just make enough room to come here on, for an hour on a Sunday morning. And I Sabbathed. It wasn't a punishment. It isn't something that we should be legalistic about either. It's something that God wants for you. Because he loves you. It's something that we can delight in. Are you taking time to rest and worship and enjoy the beautiful blessings that God has given us? But instead, we like the affirmation of people being impressed with our accomplishments and our workload or our trendy life and photo-worthy recreation where we end up doing something that's supposed to be rest and we end up making ourselves even more tired. People will argue over who's the busy one and wear that busyness like a badge of honors as if it's something that's admirable. And for a moment, we might get a burst of energy from that, but it's not refreshment. And there's a crash on the other side. Busyness is not from God. And in most cases, our busyness is a major distraction from our walk with Christ. And it harms us. And it places more and more burdens on our shoulders to the point that we can't shoulder the load anymore. Jonathan Pecluda shares an acronym for the word busy, which is being under Satan's yoke. The enemy wants you to drown in your burdens and anxiety, but Jesus offers a yoke that he says is easy and light. Jesus offers a way to shoulder the load that is easy. 
And it starts with a sustainable pace. God calls us to rest. Exodus 20 verse 8 tells us to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord thy God. Well, growing up, my parents both were in the medical field, and, and they didn't get Sunday off. That doesn't just mean that you just get to never rest. So how could you prioritize rest and refreshment? What changes do you need to make in order to take some time and some margin to just rest and to notice the color of the trees and to smell the flowers outside and to just pause and to give God the glory for all of it? Matthew 12, uh, 12, 8 says, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What is it saying there? It's saying that Jesus is our ultimate Sabbath, the ultimate place of rest, to remind us not to work for our salvation, but to rest in his finished work. Hebrews 4, 9 says, So then there remains a Sabbath of rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. Jesus is our ultimate rest. The Pharisees criticized Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day, but in Mark 2, 27, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And if you're not resting, you're missing out on a gift that God has made for you. A time to put down the shovel and let go of the hammer and trust God that if it's his will, it will get done. To do your part, but then have faith and rest. And to remember that God is in control. And to take a moment just to breathe. Everybody do that with me real quick. You ready? Let's breathe in. A lot of you had coffee this morning. That was intense. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But oxygen is such an amazing thing that God gave us. And, and there's something special as, uh, about breathing in long and deep and focusing in the moment that you're right now. That can change your mood. And when someone's having a panic attack, that's what they tell them to do. It's just a therapist might even say, hey, name 10 things in the room right now. And just breathe and center yourself in this moment. Not what's going to happen, not what happened, but what's happening right now in this moment. Deep breathing actually causes some biological things to happen to our body as well that, that help us with anxiety. Deep breathing can lessen stress and anxiety by breathing slower and more deeply from your stomach. It's a signal to your nervous system to calm down. Begin to practice rest and Sabbath mixed with prayer and fixing your mind on God and Scripture. And see how it changes uh, you in these self-imposed cases of burnout and stress and worry. And begin to practice positivity and uh, gratitude along the way. So in this series, we've been asking God to fix our mind, and we know that the answer to spiritual anxiety is fixing our mind on Christ, pushing our hearts to remember who he is to us and who we are to him and who we are to each other. 
Isaiah 26, 3, we looked at it and it said, God keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is what we're supposed to do. Put our minds on God and trust in him. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. We talked about how our anxiety is a warning sign to tell us that it's time to pause and investigate, to just stop. That it's time to pray and take your problems to the one that's in control. Then it's time to praise. Praise is a strong weapon in the fight against worry and anxiety and depression. We learned from the experts about the four different root causes of depression, of biological and relational and circumstantial and spiritual. And then Craig Groeschel told us the two truths to remember when we're depressed, that our emotions are valid and feelings of loss and hopelessness and depression are heavy, but these feelings are not permanent. And that's just how we feel right now, not forever. And then also that our situation may feel homeless, but with God... There is always hope. The weeping prophet Jeremiah told us in one of his deep bouts with depression to bring some things to our mind. And he told us what he would bring to his mind when he was depressed in Lamentations 3.22. He says he remembers that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. And they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. And today we reminded ourselves that real and genuine rest and Sabbath is such an important piece of the fight against depression and anxiety. You putting down the shovel and you putting down the hammer and finding things that fill you. And maybe you're one of those people that that's not sitting on the couch. That's my dad to a T. If he sits on a couch, he's going to get even more anxious. So he likes to hike and he goes and does all these other things. You find those things that refresh you. Maybe it's fishing or gardening or or quality time with your family where you unplug and rest and praise God for it and trust him that things are going to get done. Now, you don't do those things instead of being with your church family, right? But you can worship God and spend time with him through these simple things. And you can be filled back up, practicing positivity and gratitude all along the way. I'd love to be able to look at every single one of your faces and just say, you are cured from anxiety and depression forever. And hey, I would love for that to be God's will for your life in the future. But it's important to be honest about it, not to bury it, and to seek help from friends and professionals and surrounding with yourself with the right types of people, telling your brain to, be, uh, to, to rest in the truth of who God is. And I pray that through this series, you've heard a good word that would bring you hope and challenge you not to make permanent decisions based on temporary feelings but instead to turn your mind towards God and remember that you are not alone and that God keeps his promises. So whether immediate or through many means and hard work, our prayer for you is that you might uh, not continue to suffer with depression, 
And we are praying for you that God would bring you the victory. And until then, that you would know that you are not alone. And that we love you. And that God loves you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Take some time to just breathe and to tell God that you're resting in him. This is how we cast our anxieties on God. It's not because we think they're fixed. It's because we realize that we can't fix them. And so it's an act of faith and trust to say, God, I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to pause. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to worship. I'm going to tell my mind some truthful things. The band's going to come. We're just going to give you a little bit of margin right now. Some silence. That would let you just have a little bit of rest in this moment. Heavenly Father, God, I pray as we continue in prayer that you would help our worries and our anxieties and our fears to begin to subside. I pray that you would help us to decide in this moment to trust in you. And not that we have all the answers and not that our problems are a fix, but that we're going to wait in this moment And we're going to decide and choose to continue to rest in you. sure yet that you are a child of God. You believe in God and, and you're obviously okay with church and things like that because you're here this morning. But see, we've got an issue. We've got a problem. Every single person that's ever lived has a problem and it's, it's come between us and God and that problem is sin. We've all lied and, and said hurtful words and, and thought things that we shouldn't think, said things that we shouldn't say. 
And God is a holy and a perfect God, and he cannot fellowship with sin. And that causes an issue for us. Because we can't get to God on our own. No matter how many good works we do, or give to people, or serve people, no matter what, we can't get to God. Because even our things that we do are motivated by pride. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's the best that we can do. We can never earn our salvation. But see, God knew that. Way back at the beginning of time, when sin broke the world and Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, sin rushed into the world and death and disease and pain and war, all those things broke this earth. But God always had a plan. And all throughout the Old Testament, the story is that someone is coming to fix it all. And they believed forward to that hope that a Messiah was coming to fix their relationship with God, to save them. In the New Testament is the story of Jesus first in the gospel about his life where he came and he was born of a virgin and he lived a perfect and a holy life and he taught and he did miracles to prove who he was. And then he laid down his life on the cross. And Jesus paid the price for all of our sin. We couldn't get to God, but God came to us and an innocent person died for all of us guilty people. And he rose again from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. And the rest of the, the Bible is all about how that message changed the world. And that's how we have this message, the gospel, 2,000 years later and thousands of miles away in West Virginia is because the gospel spread and people changed and hope flooded out into the world. And if you haven't yet put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross to save you, you can do that right now. The Bible tells us the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God commanded his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call out to God right now in this moment. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It is about changing the posture of your heart. God, I can't work my way to you. Instead, I'm going to rest in what Jesus did on the cross. I'm going to put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross to save me. You can do that right now, once and for all. Never again having to worry about your status between you and God and your relationship. You could call out to him with something like this, your own words. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. But God, forgive me turning from my sin, and I'm turning to you. Letting go of all 
I held on to and put my faith instead on what you did on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you made that choice today, that's the most amazing and wonderful thing that you could ever do. That's mending a relationship between you and God that was broken. And this isn't the end of something. It's the start of a, a beautiful adventure. You living in communion with your God because of Jesus Christ. The pastors here would love to reach out to you if you made that choice today and talked about what's next and, and the, uh, what God has for you. It, we would love for you to write that on your connection card before you turn it in. I choose Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray once again for all those that are struggling with circumstances and, and sorrow and pain and anxiety and depression. God, I pray you bring peace where there is no peace, peace that passes all understanding, and comfort, even though they don't know what's going to happen. Pray that they would rest in you, put their faith and trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're excited to follow up, and Pastor Scott is going to tell you about some resources that we're going to be able to provide for you, a Bible plan that will start today for the next seven days about worry and anxiety and those things, and we'll have some videos that will follow up with testimonies of people that have uh, struggled with these things, and also we've, uh, our Weird Faith podcast has covered some of these issues as well with anxiety and comparison and insecurity and guilt. And if you're not watching those, it's silly at the beginning, but we end up taking it somewhere. And these things can help because this isn't the end of the fight. This is the start. And we can continue to push our hearts towards trusting in God.